<laughs> it's Halloween! Yay! You're listening to a special episode of You Scared of This Shit on Halloween. Unless you're not listening to it on that day. Shame on you. It's it's our special Halloween bonus episode where we are gonna listen we are gonna watch episode four of Are You Afraid of the Dark? The Tale of the Twisted Claw. I'm Eli Phillips. I'm David Dykus. Let's get started. The Tale of the Twisted Claw, Episode 4, Season 1. Directed by DJ McHale and written by series favorite Chloe Brown. We say that even though Chloe Brown did not write my favorite episode. But this is her third. She's written uh, three of the first four episodes. So yeah, The Tale of the Twisted Claw. This is an episode that I don't think I actually remember watching during the initial run of the show. Do you? Uh, no, I am not sure if I ever saw this episode before watching it for this podcast. Uh, a quick aside, just throwing this out there, did you know, do you know when this episode originally aired? Um, I read that it was the Halloween episode, but I think I saw that it aired in September? Uh, it originally aired in Canada on October 31st, 1990, so 25 years ago to the day. Wow, so the air date for this in America is what I've been reading. I've been reading the air dates for those, which means that this would have happened... Uh, like a week or two after the tale of the lonely ghost but what you're telling me is that this actually was officially a halloween episode when it originally aired okay that makes more sense but since we're diving into it let's talk about how the episodes open um just a bit of a review god i need to quit saying um just a bit of a review i'm gonna have to edit that now too (laughs) and this oh no and this (laughs) Good night, everyone. Cue fast-forwarding sound effect. (laughs) Just a bit of a review before we dive into this episode. Do you remember how episode one opened? Not like the theme song and the match and everything, but do you remember the first characters that we see in episode one? Yeah, it it shows Gary introducing the members of the Midnight Society. Yeah, it awkwardly pans around them in a circle from, like, the point of view of the fire. And then do you remember how episode two opens? Episode two had our sort of cold open where we joined the tale in progress. Yeah, yeah, we are inside Playland, but Betty Ann, we do hear her narration and she's describing Playland. Episode three began with uh, David and Kristen having an encounter before they reached the uh, the campfire. Yeah. And there was this, this small subplot of their romance. And this was what I sort of in my head thought of as the most traditional of the openings. If you'd asked me to describe yeah. an episode of Are You Afraid of the Dark, I would have said, oh, it starts with the kids walking up to the fire and we get a little bit of a background, maybe a glimpse into their lives. And then they sit down and one of them introduces the story and it starts like that's how I imagined Are You Afraid of the Dark episodes being, which brings me to episode four, because how does episode four start? Episode 4 has the greatest opening sequence of maybe the entire series. I know we still have 87 more episodes to go, (laughs) but this sets the bar pretty fucking high. You're calling it early. Yeah, episode 4 is our first true cold opening of the series. There's no narration whatsoever. There's no Midnight Society. Like, what is going on here? For all I know, this could be an episode of Goosebumps, because there's nothing about this that is like any of the episodes we've seen before. We open on a shot of a kid uh, asleep in bed. There's a clock ticking next to his bed. And the camera slowly pans around and pulls out to reveal the kid's room. Yeah. It's very atmospheric. It's very dark, very spooky. Uh, camera pulls out and we see the kid's closet door open. And like fog and light comes out of it. And out from the closet emerges this... He looks like a ring wraith. 
this tall, hooded, like, ragged figure. He's a cross between a ringwraith and a dementor from Harry Potter. Yeah. Or the ghost of Christmas past, maybe. This huge, terrifying creature lumbers out, like, arms outstretched like a, a zombie or something, and approaches the bed, and just as he's about to lay hands on this kid, the kid's alarm clock goes off, and it was revealed that everything we just saw was a dream. Yeah, he shoots up in bed, He's in the middle of the frame. He, like, sits up. It's very Don't Wake Daddy. And he says, But then the camera pulls back again to reveal that the hooded figure is still in the room. It's right fucking there. And we get the ultimate scream take. The kid screams. We get a cut to a close-up of the kid screaming. Then we get a smash cut to Kiki screaming, sitting around the campfire. And then a smash cut to Kristen screaming. And everyone sitting around the fire in the Midnight Society screaming. Yeah, Betty Ann is eating it up. Oh, yeah! Excellent! She is really into that story. And it works. It is incredible to see. Like, our description really doesn't do justice to how ridiculous and overtop this sequence is. Yeah, it is the best scene in Are You Afraid of the Dark so far. And the fact that it then does the smash cut to the Midnight Society is wonderful. Like, we're given no context. We're dropped into this. It is the most horrifying thing that has ever happened. How is this story going to end? So, what happened? And it is revealed that our favorite slash least favorite character on the show, Eric. That piece of shit. Is the one telling the story. And he just goes, Don't know. What do you mean you don't know? I mean, I don't know. And the other members of the Midnight Society voice their obvious frustration at this. And Gary says, well, we can't close the meeting without a full story. Yeah, everyone else is just mad at him, but but Gary, like, takes the reins on this, which I appreciate. It is implied that Eric called this meeting just to tell this this entire opening sequence. Also, we should point out, lasts less than a minute. <laughs> Yeah. And it's implied that Eric called the entire Midnight Society together just to tell that. Well, so, pause, because I have to assume that there was more to the story that we didn't hear beforehand. I I don't personally believe that what we saw was the start of his story. I believe that that's where we were dropped into it. Okay, that would make more sense. I'm going to give Eric that much credit. But yeah, the fact that he called a meeting, it's not like they have a schedule. He called a meeting to tell this story and didn't have an ending. So Gary asks, does anyone have a story? Yeah, and who should volunteer but my hero, little Canadian sorry David. David speaks up and says, I've got one. I've got one. Our other favorite character, Frank, actually gets a little jab in at David. He goes like, he speaks. Yeah, he makes a joke about David, like, not making any noise at all, apparently, for the entire evening. Which is sort of, I think, building both of their characters. Really, this was a great character scene for all of the guys, at least. You know, Gary took the reins on things, Eric wrote half of a story, Frank made fun of someone, and David was timid. But David volunteers that he has a story, and then Kristen says something that I thought was unusual. Did you catch what she said? Yeah, she says, You haven't told one in a long time, David. Which the problem with that is, of course, Keen-eared listeners will remember that he told the story last week. He told the tale of the lonely ghost, which means one of two things is true. One, they write these episodes out of order, which seems pretty reasonable. Or two... We're not seeing all of the stories that they tell. Like, they are coming together and telling stories in between episodes. And several Midnight Society meetings have passed since the tale of the Lonely Ghost. Which I think is also an interesting idea. Because then you can have some, like, non-canon Dead Sea Scroll tale ofs. David 
says he has a tale that he's been saving he's been working on and he unveils it I call this story the tale of the twisted claw so the real story actually begins the first thing we see is a really nice long take uh, of a group of hoodlums making mischief on a, I think what is it's called mischief night it's the night before Halloween and David explains that the night before Halloween all the kids in the neighborhood would go out and like do pranks and perform you know petty acts of vandalism like spraying shaving cream on people's cars and TPing houses and stuff like that we get a good long take of a group of kids in hoodies which I want to uh, I want to take a moment to focus on this because I want to point out that these kids spray shaving cream on the hood of the car, which I had always heard will, like, mess up the paint. Eli, do you remember this ever being a tradition uh, where we grew up? Because I remember this is also a, a plot point in the early 90s movie The Crow, the night before Halloween, supposedly the night when people go out and cause trouble. Do you remember ever encountering this in your childhood? I heard about Or adulthood. I heard about that all the time on TV. Like, I, I too, remember this being a part of media, Mischief Night, but... I don't know if, I mean, I never personally TP'd a house or a yard or anything like that on the night before Halloween. And most of the time, I feel like when I saw the aftermath, I just assumed that it was stuff that happened on Halloween. Like, I don't remember noticing anything until the day after Halloween. I agree. I feel like most of the uh, teenagers and and rabble-rousers sort of saved their energy for Halloween night. But uh, I could be totally wrong about that. If you have ever vandalized someone's house on Mischief Night, please let us know. So the next thing we see is a shot of a huge, like, imposing-looking house uh, with a gate in front of it, and we see two kids about, what would you say, about 11 years old? Yeah, I would say these are middle school kids. Let's go someplace else. What's the matter? Afraid the witch is gonna get you? No such thing. Then let's do it. We see Dougie and Kevin approach this house, sneak through the gate, uh, and they knock on the door, and they have a can of shaving cream in hand to prank whoever lives here. Now... My assumption here is that he's going to shaving cream the window? Yeah, it's. I think it's insinuated that he's going to spray shaving cream on the, uh, it's like on the front door. Why do you draw attention to yourself before you do that act? What ends up happening is that they ring the doorbell, I guess, and then they start to spray shaving cream on the front door. But before they can, the door opens and they shaving cream old Miss Clove, who is rumored to be a witch. They really, like, give her a load of white cream to the face. Oh. And then she... Don't do that. And then she... And then she turns and loses her balance. She knocks over a massive vase, and it crashes to the floor. And Dougie and Kevin run away. So the boys flee the house, and uh, we see Mrs. Clove standing in the doorway, and she takes off her glasses, and she laughs. Laughs? She laughs like Dr. Evil in a fucking austin powers movie yeah this long drawn out intensifying laughter that no one has ever no one in real life has ever laughed like this yeah i mean it's definitely the laugh of someone who knows something we don't and someone who is plotting yes uh which is fine like good foreshadowing there we cut to dougie back at his house wearing a very creepy mask wearing like a creepy old man mask and a sheet I don't know what his costume is actually supposed to be, but he looks like if the Green Goblin from Spider-Man was flesh-toned. He looks a little bit like the Yellow Bastard from Sin City. Yeah, yeah. Or I would say this actually looks like what I imagined the Haunted Mask from Goosebumps looking like. Yeah. Like, it's like a bald guy 
with like a big chin and a witch's nose and bulging eyes and like big ears and just this really creepy looking thing and then he's wearing a white sheet so i don't know he's going to some sort of spook and kevin shows up at his house wearing a bum costume <laughs> you better believe that shit wouldn't fly in 2015 yeah Kevin comes over dressed as a homeless person. And and this is apparently an annual tradition for him. Yeah, because Dougie's like, You're a bum. You're a bum every year. And uh, Kevin makes an, a really good point there. He says, So you get the same candy. Which is the most economical Halloween decision. Like, this is a very joyless child in that he's just like, I'm just doing this for business. This is my work outfit. Like, put on my bum costume so I can get my candy. And really, what's more spooky and terrifying than the plight of the lower class in America? Truly. Or Canada, by the way they all talk. Or Canada. <laughs> I stand corrected. So the boys go out trick-or-treating, and we sort of cut to... We, we get to see the end of that, thankfully. We see them uh, walking down the street with sacks full of candy, and sure enough, they're walking up to Miss Clove's house. Why on earth would they go back? I, I assume they're just, like, passing by, but I don't know. Like, I don't know where their house is in relation to Miss Clove's. It is kind of an odd thing that they ended up there again at the end of their evening of trick-or-treating. I think Kevin makes an offhand comment about how they're wearing masks or in their costume and they won't recognize, or she will not recognize them as the two people who were responsible for the destruction of her vase. I'll point out that that's a silly argument because uh, Kevin, who makes that comment, is not wearing a mask and basically looks like the exact same kid he was the night before. So they approach the door and they knock and they say trick-or-treat and she answers very cryptically. She opens the door really slowly and, like, peeks her head out and it's like, what are you boys doing here? As though she doesn't know about Halloween. When they say trick or treat, she's like, trick or treat? Treat? Or treat? And then she slowly opens the door, really sort of hamming it up as far as the crazy old woman persona goes. She beckons them inside, and rather than candy or, like, change or any sort of traditional treat that a child would get, she offers them a wooden box. Yeah, she says that since they are the only people to visit her house, because everyone else thinks the house is haunted, she wants to reward them with something special. So she comes back with a small wooden box that she opens in front of them to reveal a claw. Yeah, this withered old, like, three-toed claw... And initially, uh, Ducky tries to refuse it. He says, no, no, that's fine. You know, we'll just keep going. And she really pushes this claw hard. Uh, and eventually they are sort of coerced into taking it. And she tells them that it will give each of them three wishes. Yeah, actually, she says it'll give them three wishes. And uh, selfish Kevin wants her to specify if it's three wishes combined or three wishes individually. And she assures them that it is three wishes each. They sort of reluctantly take the claw in its box. She gives them the, uh, the the cryptic warning. Be careful what you wish for. You might just get it. They leave the house, and Dougie is just unsettled by this entire encounter. And he casually, without thinking, says... Well, I wish we can go home and lose this stupid trick-or-treating. Whoa! The claw begins to glow... It falls out of his hand, and you see one of the uh, the fingers on the claw, or the toes on the claw, curl up, signifying that he has used the first of his three wishes. Yeah, they don't think anything of it. They pick up the claw, and they continue wandering. And then they are accosted by my favorite variety of early 90s villains, a bunch of young teenage punk thugs. Yep. Uh, we can tell that they are young teenage punk thugs because they're all wearing either A, classic Are You Afraid of the Dark Bully outfits, denim jackets, B, 
classic everywhere in the 90s bully outfits, leather jackets, or C, classic early 90s thug outfit, flannel. Oh, and we should say they're also all wearing Phantom of the Opera masks. It's like five different kids in matching Phantom of the Opera masks. These look like they would be the villains in like an Earthbound style video game. Yeah, they really do. Like they circled the kids. This is all shot in a very hokey, cheesy way where it's like the camera is stationary and the thugs are walking around the camera, like bobbing their faces up into it, being like, you better give us this candy now, kid. And then that one walks on and someone else walks up and is like, yeah, give us your candy. And this all seems very innocent for the first few seconds, but one of them threatens to kill the kids over this candy. Yeah. Give it up, Jammer. You ain't gonna live long enough to eat your stupid candy. And then he wrestles the candy away. Dougie bravely pushes him over onto a seesaw, and uh, when, the, when the bully falls over, the two of them run away and escape. So they get home and they realize that the wish has been granted, just in a sort of backhanded, ironic way. Yeah. They got out of having to trick-or-treat, but it cost them more than they ever could have imagined. Their candy. We cut to the next day, and we see a hall full of children at school. And the boys are at their locker getting their books for their next class. We get a moment of profound, unintentional homoeroticism. The boys are deliberating what they're going to use their wishes on. And Kevin looks across the hall, and he sees a young, handsome boy about their age talking to a girl. And he says, Well, it's going to give me something I've wanted since I was a kid. Bostic. <laughs> I wish that, like... First of all... What the fuck kind of name is Bostic? I wish that had accidentally been his witch, his wish, like, and the guy just shoved the girls away and comes over and gives him a smooch. <laughs> there is a moment where I was like, oh my god, this is so progressive for a, a Canadian show in the early 90s. Progressive and also at the same time not, because he's like, he would be wishing to force someone to be in love with him, which is in some way like taking away their agency. That is true. But it is very quickly clarified that uh, Kevin wants to defeat Bostic at a race that is only referred to as the 600. Yeah. Apparently, Kevin is uh, on the track and field team. He's a runner, and he has just been itching to beat Bostic for perhaps years now. We haven't addressed this yet, but I feel like Kevin sort of falls into the Are You Afraid of the Dark typecast as the bully best friend that we've seen so far with Beth. You have to prove you're not a Zeb. And with Josh. Both of you are chicken. And with Denny in the first episode. I did trust you and you got us lost, Cheeseball. Because yes. w when we first see him, he's sort of harsh to Dougie. Like, he insults him a few times and he, he tells him to hurry up and he threatens to call, to call him a chicken if he doesn't go in the witch's house. I feel like he's sort of made out to be the bully best friend in this one. And it's just not as strong because he's also still a good friend at times and he's also a victim of the, of the claw. But... He kind of comes across as a pushy jerk occasionally, and it's seen, I think, most clearly in this moment, where he wishes, he uses his wish to beat this guy at a race. I wish it could beat Bostic in the 600. Whoa! It moved! And the first thing we see when the race starts is that Bostic wishes him good luck. Good luck, Jeff. So they approach the, the racetrack, and then we get an incredible montage of the race set to some awesome early 90s rockin' montage music. Yeah. Here's a sample of that right now. Oh, 
this music sounds like it would be playing in a beat-em-up in an arcade game. Like, you are walking through the mean streets, punching ninjas, and this music is playing in the background while you pump quarters into the machine. So, arcade music plays, the race is happening. Bostitch is winning throughout the entire race, and we are, we are sort of seeing all this from Dougie's point of view. He's watching the race, and he's cheering for Kevin, who is in second place. But Dougie senses a disturbance in the force. Yeah, he looks uh, at he a tree. He senses something behind a nearby tree. <laughs> I, I have to say, the entire time that I was watching this race happen, I was like, okay, we know that he's going to win, but how is it going to happen? I'm sure he's. I'm sure that Bostich is going to fall over or something. Like he's just going to trip and sprain his ankle. It has to be something bad that they're going to feel guilty about. So this guy's going to trip and sprain his ankle. But I kept thinking, I really wish that a wild animal would like emerge out of the woods and just maul him. <laughs> like I'm watching the episode and I was, and I said out loud, wouldn't it be funny if he's running the race and he's winning and then all of a sudden a bear comes out and eats him and then just leaves, or like a wolf comes out or something. And the second Dougie looks over at the tree and feels nervous and the scary music starts playing, I got so excited I lost my mind. Sadly, nothing that dramatic happens. Though I wish it <laughs> but did. But a dog does run out. A black dog runs out uh, directly in Bostick's path as he's about to cross the finish line. And I guess this dog is made of fucking lead or something because Bostick trips and it is revealed that he breaks his leg as he topples over. Is she okay? Well, having a broken leg, okay. It's not an official diagnosis. Kevin seizes the opportunity <laughs> and, in a pretty hilarious shot, throws out his arms and crosses the finish line in victory. He's watching Bostic fall over and he's cheering, like, Yeah, yeah, look at me! I dodged a dog! Everyone else runs over to Bostic to see him on the ground, like, wailing in pain. And Kevin is like lighting a cigar and popping a bottle of champagne and spraying it on people. Hang on just a couple of minutes. I'm going to play the episode because I have in my notes uh, more unintentional homoeroticism. I have to see what this was. That night, Dougie's parents went out for dinner. So Kevin came over and he brought something with him. And David has a very suggestive look on his face as he says this. We get back to inside the house, inside the story, and find that nothing... Nothing is happening here. Uh, the undertones are just that. The two of them are arguing over how inappropriate it was to win the race in that fashion. Dougie thinks that it was unfair and that the dog was clearly brought by the wish, and he's convinced that the claw is evil, and Kevin doesn't give two shits about this. And Dougie is begging him to that they should take the claw back. I say we take this back to Miss Cloves and apologize. Then I can tell my folks we did the right thing. My folks, my folks. Uh, I find the, their use of that word to be weird. I don't know if maybe that was a regional thing or, or what, but it threw me off. There are a few quirks about the script in this episode uh, that I found sort of annoying, I guess. The repeated use of the phrase, my folks. Uh, the fact that I think Kevin exclusively speaks in double negatives. I don't want to be no ghost. Or in some cases, like triple negatives. Forget it. No one is telling nobody nothing. <laughs> Do you don't not undislike strong bad? <laughs> so they're arguing about it, and Dougie says, "What if my folks find out?" And Kevin says, "But my folks, but my folks, but my folks. I wish you'd just lose your folks." Ah! He makes a wish that results in the claw glowing green and moving. It moved, didn't it? And they throw it across the room in a panic again. 
and immediately they get a call from the police saying that there has been a car accident and that Dougie's folks are in the hospital. Let's not kid ourselves here. They're dead. <laughs> Kevin has killed Dougie's parents with this wish. <laughs> That's what the police call to say. They don't even come over. They're just like, son, your parents are dead. Bye. This does not do anything to calm uh, Dougie. He's still panicking, trying to find a solution for what to do now. Things escalate really quickly. Dougie kind of to himself says, I wish Grant's here. He knows what to do. It is then revealed to us that Dougie's grandfather has actually been dead for many years. This is a problem because he said this while holding the claw, which glows green and sort of does its little movement thing. He is startled by it and throws it across the room. And Kevin's like, oh, you've done it now. There's going to be a dead grandpa in this house. Meanwhile, outside, we see a black, it looks like a hearse, but some kind of black luxury car pull up on the road yeah and we see from the point of view of the driver we see someone getting out of the car and slowly walking towards the house and we see their shadow walking towards the house uh, like they're casting a shadow on the pavement and we see that as they're slowly approaching the door the two boys are wrestling for the claw because dougie doesn't trust kevin to make the right wish and they're also worried that like we wish grandpa back what if he's a skeleton or like a zombie or something dougie he's dead he may be a skeleton or run I like that they chose not to show Grandpa, because one, I guess that would have been kind of weird, and two, because uh, we talked in the last episode about how I liked that they showed the ghost there, but I think this was a situation where it was a much better choice to leave that to the viewer's imagination. Yeah, this is a scene where they're, they're building up a lot of dread and a lot of panic, um, but I don't think this episode ever gets to the point of actually being scary. And so it might have been a, an odd tonal choice if they had done it. Finally, Dougie gets the claw, and he says that he's going to make the wish that he should have made in the beginning. He apologizes to the claw for breaking uh, <laughs> the old lady's vase. And then he says, We're sorry we broke Miss Claw's vase, and we wish it never, ever happened. And the world explodes. Yeah, it's like when Stimpy presses the history eraser button. Everything just disappears. Uh, no. The claw itself begins to glow, and it vanishes. Yeah, it disappears from his hand. They hear a knock at the door. They answer it, fearing it might still be dead grandpa. But no, it's just Dougie's parents, who were at the neighbor's house and have come back to get their car keys. Yep, they totally forgot their car keys. <laughs> There's a funny moment where uh, Dougie's parents come in, and they see Kevin, and Dougie's dad just goes, Hey, kid. If I didn't take them, they wouldn't get taken. Hi, kid. <laughs> As if he's never seen uh, his son's best friend before. <laughs> they have a weird relationship. So Kevin checks. His medal has also vanished. Apparently the claw granted this wish irony-free. Uh, all of the trouble has been retconned out of existence. Yep. Everything is fine. Um, it has all been undone. And the very last thing that we see is uh, the boys get another knock on the door, and when they open the door, there is the vase that belonged to Miss Clove that she accidentally broke when she, when she got sprayed in the face with the shaving cream. And on top of the vase is a little note that they pick up, and in a sort of scrawling script written in ink, it says, Trick or Treat! Exclamation point. And the camera zooms in on it, and we fade out. There really is no epilogue with the Midnight Society. We don't get the resolution to uh, to Eric's amazing opening. We don't get it in this episode. And spoiler alert, I don't think we get it in any episode. Yeah, I'm very disappointed about that. 
we just see the kids sort of congratulating David on like, oh, that's a great story, whatever. Uh, and Gary dumps the water on the fire and declares the meeting closed and says, pleasant dreams, everyone. Which is so disappointing. Like, I, I, I want to get some editing software and go back and make it so that when the tale of the Twisted Claw ends and we cut back to the Midnight Society, I'm just going to use the footage of Frank carrying Eric away in a headlock from the last episode because he deserves it. Come on, Zeb. If Eric ever deserved to get thrown in the fire. <laughs> How can we shoot that scene without you seeing anyone's faces so that I can edit it in anytime it's needed? Before we get to the question that is sort of the thesis statement for this podcast, let me ask you a different question. Did you enjoy this episode? Um, this episode is sort of a mixed bag for me. I was disappointed that it started off with the scariest thing I've ever seen in Are You Afraid of the Dark? And it turned into a very sort of light-hearted spooky story, like a, a very toothless story. I laughed more in this, I think, than I did in other episodes. Like, it was goofy and it was funny. There were more mullets in this episode than in any other episode, so I feel like there were a lot of things to, to sort of chuckle at here. But it just felt so neutered compared to what Eric had started. And that, in some way, frustrated me. Is it safe to say that neither of us was scared of this shit? <laughs> I mean, if we just if we just want to answer the question, you scared of this shit right now? I think it's no. I'm not scared of it now, and I wouldn't have been scared of it then. Although I wouldn't have made it to the tale of the twisted claw because as a child I would have turned it off as soon as Eric's story, like as soon as everyone started screaming. I personally was not scared of this shit at all, but I loved this episode. <laughs> I thought this was entertaining from beginning to end. How does it rank for you compared to the others? I think I enjoyed this more than Phantom Cab, for sure. It just is a nonstop barrage of absurdity. It's not scary. Like, it never... I don't think it ever even has the pretense of being scary. It is just a very lazy riff on the, the monkey's paw. And I don't know. It's just all very hokey. Yeah, I agree. Um, I think tonally you hit the nail on the head. I would compare it most closely to The Tale of the Phantom Cab in that it's it's a goofy story. And um, it had some chuckle moments in it. It makes sense because it is another Chloe Brown, which if we look at hers, so, I mean, of the four episodes so far, her three episodes have had the fewest real scares when compared to The Tale of the Lonely Ghost. But this one feels, this one feels quite a lot like The Tale of the Phantom Cab. But yeah, not at all scary, but a lot of fun. I would highly recommend you track this one down and check it out. It's super cheesy. If you decide you're going to watch this episode with little little children or nieces or nephews, I think this is probably the safest bet to start with. If you want to wean them onto this show, test them on this episode. Um, yes, they will be scared of the opening, but maybe they will have forgotten it by the time everything is said and done. Uh, all right, then. Eli, are there any announcements we need to make as we wrap up? Um, hopefully you have all taken a look at the Facebook page, facebook.com slash shit. Uh, follow us on Twitter if you if that is your preferred social media platform. Twitter.com slash you scared of this or at you scared of this. We're on Twitter and Facebook. I'm setting up a Tumblr so I can post goofy animated GIFs from the episodes and little recap things. We'll let you know more about that uh, next week. I want to thank people who have given us some feedback on these first few episodes. I will thank two very close friends of mine, uh, 
I want to thank Georgia Shrubby and Claire Hurd, two friends of mine who got really excited about these first episodes and shared them with their friends, sent me a lot of text messages commenting on things and gave us really good feedback. So Georgia and Claire, thank you for that. And I would also like to thank uh, our good friend, friend of the show, Jessica Harvey, for a lot of constructive feedback from the first couple of episodes. Glad you're enjoying it. And finally, I want to thank my girlfriend, Cheyenne Smith, who has listened to every episode so far far, and given me feedback on all of them. It has been incredibly helpful from all of you. So thank you all very, very much. Yes, thank you to everyone who has listened and shared so far. We appreciate it. We will be back next week with The Tale of the Hungry Hounds which is written by Anne Appleton, directed by DJ McHale, who did The Tale of the Twisted Claw and The Tale of the Lonely Ghost, who is, I believe, an executive producer on the show. And this story will be told by Kristen. It'll be Kristen's first story, so we're going to see how that goes. I was very disappointed when I misread this, and I thought it was called The Tale of the Hungry Hippos. But no, Tale of the Hungry Hounds, tune in next Tuesday. If we can have an episode based on the monkey's paw, we should be able to have an episode based on the Hungry Hungry Hippos. Well, we've got 87 episodes to go, so maybe we'll get that hippocentric episode eventually. They have time to fix this. So until until next time, thank you all for listening, and I hereby declare this episode of You Scared of This Shit closed. Great podcast, Eli. I'd wish for a million bucks and take my chances.